is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast. I'm sure Bob's got something to say about that. Let's just wait and see what Bob says. You know the timing. It's usually Wednesday. When's Porto due? Tuesday? Campo? Well, uh, it'll be Thursday. All lined up. Here's the order. I'm just waiting for it. It's all coordinated. It's all fun. If you're a bookmaker, you'd bet on it. Uh, on what they're going to say. And speaking of what they're going to say, uh, as Eddie Jones predicted, he must have our phones tapped uh, because it is Tuesday and I've got uh, Simon Poitivan on the line. Simon, nice to speak to you once again on the Fox Rugby podcast. Mate, what do you think about those quotes there from Eddie Jones said on Monday? Uh, certainly, uh, Christy and Sam, good to be aboard. Um, we're not going to let Eddie down, so <laughs> he'll have the podcast. Um, there'll be two newspaper articles tomorrow on Tuesday, republished in the UK, UK time. So we're all on timetable. Eddie's a very, very, um, he's very focused on detail. So I just wanted to make sure that detail is followed and Tuesday is when I come. <laughs> You're following out the Eddie Jones game plan superbly, Simon. So, uh, thanks very much for that. No, Eddie uh, would be uh, very disappointed if I didn't. So, um, all good. Let's, let's 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 just go back a little bit because the rugby, uh, the Randwick Mafia, as, as we all know, they're they're everywhere uh, throughout the world. But uh, this game, particularly with the two coaches pitted against one another, uh, Eddie Jones, of course, a, a famous uh, hooker playing for Randwick, and and. Uh, Australian coach Michael Checker, a back row with, with Randwick too. Look, what are your memories of, of the two of them, uh, particularly from their Randwick days? Well, it, uh, it, is, it is true that um, we all uh, played the club together and uh, certainly Eddie does have um, one significant advantage over Check that he was certainly probably the best sledger on the earth. So he was ahead of Czech there, but Czech wasn't too far behind him. And um, both players um, in their playing days, Eddie Jones was only a, a jockey when he played uh, hooker. So he had to be very smart the way he played the game. And he was tenacious and uh, he was smart. And that's coming through uh, now in his coaching. That's the way he coaches. Uh, Czech was passionate, um, abrasive, uh, also a great sledger, but um, highly intelligent. So... Both players um, being forwards uh, clearly had the brains and um, have gone on to uh, bigger and better things and both have uh, coached at the very highest positions in the world. Yeah, the, just just quickly on the Randwick thing as well, Simon, it is extraordinary how much of a legacy the club's had on, on world rugby and um, I don't know how closely you're associated um, with, with the club at the moment, but does that make you pretty proud? And, and I guess just, it is quite amazing, isn't it, just the incredible impact right across uh, the globe that the, the club's had? Uh, yeah, still very heavily involved, um, Sam, and on the board. I've been on the board since 2012 and... I uh, had a couple of sons playing for the club. One led the uh, Colts to an undefeated season premiership uh, this year. So he, he's coming through and the other 15-year-old kid, uh, he's playing in the team I coach there. So still heavily involved. Um, we've got a huge amount of talent coming through the club now. And, um, you know, it's great to see the shoot shield level in uh, Sydney in particular that um, there's a big uh, revival in the game and uh, certainly... You know, I think Sydney Uni um, through the early um, 2000s set the trend, but um, clubs like Randwick are now coming back with vengeance. And um, so it's good for the game that uh, 
young players have a, a career path to come through. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so we'll get to the game itself shortly, but uh, you mentioned that Eddie Jones is one of the best sledges that you'd ever seen. And there's a, a, a recent book that's just been published by Mike Coleman who touches upon that and, and he brings up um, even Alan Jones in terms of the, the feud uh, between Alan and, and Eddie after some comments that, that Eddie um, made uh, sledging one of the goal kickers as he was lining up to, to take a shot um, and Alan Jones was watching on the sideline and, and wasn't particularly impressed with what was coming out of Eddie's mouth. What do you... Is, was there a particular quote or a match that stood out in particular about his uh, gift of the, the gob? Well, I won't go to the quote, but it was Manly Oval and Alan was, uh, was coaching the Manly side. So... Um, we took about 15 years to uh, get Jamesy to come back and actually do a, a function at the uh, Ramming Club on the on behalf of that sledge, and um, he did it because of Jeff Sales. So uh, all credit to Jamesy that a 15 year thereabouts um, grudge against the club from an Eddie Jones sledge at uh, Manly Oval uh, was overcome. But um, yeah, Jamesy's Jamesy's been a um, a great supporter since, but uh, yeah, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty interesting days back then. Simon, of course, um, Eddie Jones has had all the bragging rights over Czechs so far um, in, in their current jobs with England and the Wallabies. Uh, the bookmakers clearly are going to have England at home, um, showing a bit of a resurgence as clear favourites for this one. Do you see any signs that the the Wallabies can spring an upset and, and Czech for once can get the can get the last laugh? Yeah, well, yeah, Eddie, Eddie's copped a lot of criticism this year. They um, they were sort of loving him about two years ago and thought he was the, the best thing on this on this earth. So they're a pretty fickle uh, crowd, the uh, the Poms. But um, the England England were outstanding against the All Blacks, and you know, coming into the All Black game, they weren't playing that well. So they focused on that game, and it was a four years bet- between uh, clashes between the two nations. So it was a big one for them, and um, they got within a, a you know a hairbreadth of sort of winning that game. And they did it with being really intense, um, very strong in their carries and defence, and uh, pretty tactical around the field on a, on a very wet day. So they're very unlucky to lose that. And I thought the intensity of that side, especially in the first 40 minutes, was just phenomenal. So we've got a huge, huge uh, challenge this weekend, and the other bookmakers are arrive setting that market on on the form. Australia's got a lot of work to do. So what's Michael got to do? He's got to pick pick the right team to begin with, but also pick a team that um, will go 80 minutes just hammer and tongs with England because there's no other way to beat them at Twickenham. And we saw Ireland last week against the All Blacks. You know, for 80 minutes, uh, the 23 players in that squad just just emptied the tank, and you saw the players leaving the field absolutely exhausted. We have got no choice but to do that on the weekend and in against England to win that game. Yeah, you're bang on the money. In fact, if if Australia do lose this weekend, it'll be the first time Australia's ever lost six tests against England straight uh, in their, what, 111-year history. So uh, lots to play for and a, and a record that Michael Checker certainly won't want to have this weekend. Speaking of the, the team that he will, will pick, um, my, uh, David Pocock picked up a, another neck injury um, 
in the test win against Italy on the weekend. So he's very much in doubt. Um, if if he was to to miss the test match, uh, you're a former back rower uh, yourself. Who who would you like to see come into to that side? Uh, well, I don't think he's going to pl- uh, miss it. You know, if you sort of got to the detail, first it was concussion, then it was um, Nick. Seems though he, he got a stinger, and we've all had plenty of stingers in our days, and, um, you know, you do get over them. So, Christ, um, Christy hasn't, Simon. Christy's the only exception there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that um, <laughs> David Pocock would love to play the game more than anyone else on earth. So, you know, it's uh, he's been through a tough year and he has been targeted because he's so good. So if he doesn't play, um, obviously you keep uh, Hooper at seven, um, you keep Dempsey at Dempsey at uh, six and um, probably bring you know, Samu or um, potentially heading in at eight. Cool. And Simon, I saw also some comments from you um, to the Daily Telegraph. So some, some changes that you'd like to see made to Tafu, Pilata now at hooker, Kepu at prop, and, and Rob Simmons at lock. To, you, you think that would shore up the set piece against the pretty powerful England pack? Yeah, like going back to the uh, England all that game, you know, that came out like a house on fire the first 40 minutes. There's, there's a big storm coming, so you've you got to weather that storm. Pilata now is our best scrummager. Um, he's Arguably our best throw in the line out. There's a huge amount of pressure in that that opening sort of you know 20 minutes against the uh, the palms of Twiggers. The place is going nuts. Um, they hate hate the Australians. So Pilota now needs to sort of fulfil that role. Kepu um, is very experienced. He's scrummaging much better. And um, you know, CEO has been I thought disappointing. Um, the Ingl- the uh, scrum against Italy was. Must have been 50% of the scrums collapsed and most of the time we were blamed. So we've got to do something about that. We have deteriorated since uh, Ledesma left us as coaching um, scrum coach. And so we've got a lot of, lot of work to do this weekend. And uh, my, if I was Eddie Jones, the first place that I'd attack would be the other uh, scrum. A, to get sort of penalties and, and field position, but B, to exhaust, um, the front rowers on the other side because you're just sort of wrestling with that big English pack and they got you out of the pump and then you've got to get out there and make runs and make uh, make tackles. You're really, really sucking him in. So that's why I'd have him and Kepu. I'd definitely start with Rob Simmons uh, running the line out. Uh, he's a very smart player. He's picked up his physicality. Um, he has played well when he's come on. Adam Coleman, big man. Um, big work rate, lots of mistakes, lots of lots of stuff still to learn, and um, you just don't need him in that uh, opening cauldron at Twickenham. Um, I think that Tamua is a standout to play ten. Uh, he's direct. He's a punishing, punishing defender. I, I love Bernard Foley as a player and what he's done to this country in the Waratahs, but he's out of form. Kirtley Beale's out of form. Kirtley Beale. I wouldn't even include in the in the twenty three. Right. Well, yeah, they're big comments. Well, maybe we'll just touch upon that back line in, in a moment. But with the four pack and, and clearly being a, a pass forward uh, himself, it's it's good to touch upon these sorts of things. You, you said that Rob Simmons come in for the for the line out particularly, and and I agree. He has picked up his aggression and work rate just in recent times. Um, but 
clearly the, the the big debate and and we spoke about it on the on the phone about a month ago the, uh, the big debate about David Pocock and Michael Hooper and whether or not that takes away from the from the line out having two uh shorter um, flankers in the side or, well, back rowers because Poey's playing at number eight. Last week, John Connolly on the pod thought that, uh, you know, he hadn't picked Phil War and George Smith in the same 15 for, for that reason. Um, do you think that, 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 do you still have the belief that despite the, the line-out woes throughout uh, 2018 that, that Hooper and Pocock must be in that starting 15? Yeah, I think if you if you look if you analyse most of our lineout ways, it comes from a misdirected throws, b dumb calls to people who shouldn't be getting the ball. You know, like I don't understand. Um, in against Wales, we get to sort of three metres out, we we go for the high wrist ball to back the lineout. Why would you do that when you can actually get a money ball at two and just drive it from there, like? That's just a bad call. So mm. you know, if you really analyse it, how many times? How many times does does Hooper or uh, Pocock have an influence? Not that much. And Hooper's actually pretty good uh, line edge over it too. Yeah, yeah, he's a light light bloke, and he does get high. So yeah. before we uh, let you go, Matt, just given your very close affiliation um, with Ranwick and you across everything that's going on there, just your thoughts on at grassroots level, there, there still seems to be a you know a huge amount of support in Australian rugby. It's just the, a disconnect with the professional arm of the game at, at the moment, seemingly. Like, have you got any insights in, into that? How how, they, how we can bridge the gap and and just how is the game? You know, Ranwick specifically, is it still in reasonable heart there? Yeah, no, we're probably, from a club perspective, never been stronger. So, you know, you'd say the same of City Uni, same of uh, East, et cetera, out there. So there's lots of clubs who are making a big effort and, you know, clearly there's a bit of despondency uh, was what occurred at the professional level out there because if at the grassroots amateur sort of level, you can actually be improving the game and bringing great talent through and, um, you know, making making strength and conditioning programs which are meaningful to um, to players and giving them career paths. Well, go up a few levels out there and um, there's a few questions to be answered. And, you know, I'll go back to the Waratahs, not this season because actually they, they had to sort of sort it out, but like their strength and conditioning over 16 and 17 was just abysmal and how, how does a professional club operate at that level and players are clearly not not fit and so you know if you're a shoot shield club you look saying like like you guys get paid the big bucks you've got all the money coaching in the world why aren't you fit like it's a pretty simple simple answer and that should go all the way up to the board and questions were never asked of that it was clear from an outsider's view that the team wasn't fit and that was that was a burden that um, Michael Checker as head coach had to sort of carry through 2017-18 because players in the provinces weren't fit. And that's just not acceptable. It wouldn't happen in New Zealand. It doesn't happen in Scotland. It doesn't happen in England. Mm, yeah, they're, they're telling points. And I suppose with the uh, with with the Australian rugby and a centralised system, which has been spoken about in recent times, I suppose that that's what you're wanting as well there, to, to have everything feeding towards with Michael Checker and what the Wallabies are wanting. Also, too, like, you know, if, if I'm 
if I'm a young player coming through, I, I want to be the fittest and strongest I can be out there. So, like, I'd expect that part of the organisation to be operating. So, you know, Waratah sorted out this year, but it took too long to do it. The Reds, Reds were unfit. Um, other Super Rugby teams have ebbed and flowed out there. The Rebels got much fitter this year. Like, that's that's a pretty basic starting point. Um, so, at the uh, at the club level, um, you know, the, the clubs getting their act together are doing a, doing a great job, and um, I just think that um, they're expecting the same standards that are sort of carried by the professional um, era. Mm. We'll finish on a positive note, and we're just going to just rewind a few years ago to 1991 when, when the Wallabies won the World Cup and, of course, at Twickenham itself. So something that uh, you'll have great memories about. What's it like playing at Twickenham? And, and for the players that are going to be running on their, uh, this Australian time Sunday morning at 2 a.m., what, what will they be feeling and thinking in front of 80,000 probably all English fans? Well, we had the privilege of playing that World Cup final against England in their own backyard. So, you know, that's there's nothing nothing comes near that from point of view of satisfaction. You turn up at the ground and um, as you're driving in, so the car park's full of um, uh, the sporty cars and uh, all the other uh, poms out there having their uh, little drinkies and um, giving you heaps on the way through. So. <laughs> It was uh, fantastic motivation itself, like no greater motivation than that to sort of drive, drive through that sort of crowd of plonkers. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you get into the end of the, uh, the stadium, and it's a beautiful stadium. And obviously, it's 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 really excelled itself uh, since 1991 from the point of view of the whole structure and the way they sort of run the game there. So, phenomenal place to play, and you know. <laughs> They hate, hate the Australians, that's great. Um, they're passionate supporters, that's great. Um, you know, players, some players find that intimidating. Uh, I think most players love to sort of uh, use it as motivation. And I'm sure uh, Michael Checker and his, and his um, team will be using it as huge motivation. But it's a phenomenal stadium. Um, they really, really privileged to own that stadium. That's uh, their bit of real estate and... Um, you know, every international player there. You see the Japanese last weekend, the place was full too, so they've got a great following. Um, no better place in the world to win apart from uh, winning in New Zealand. <laughs> well, that's something that Australian uh, audiences haven't seen too much of, uh, but let's hope that uh, a win this weekend and the first time since the, the 2015 World Cup. Uh, Simon, great to talk to you, mate, and uh, look forward to hearing some of the reaction and maybe one or two more Eddie Jones's uh, shots over the coming days. Okay, Christy, Sam, thanks very much. Thanks, Simon. Cheers, mate. Always good to chat to Simon Portovan, the, the former Wallabies captain. Sam Worthington, uh, that was good fun talking to, to Porto. Lots to look forward to this weekend. Yeah, he's right on top of things, isn't he? Involved at the game at grassroots and not uh, shy at throwing a few barbs out there and some interesting thoughts on the, the forward pack in particular um, going forward. And the, the English plonkers as well. He's got good good memories of the car park there in Twickers. <laughs> Certainly does. Let's uh, Let's just rewind. A few days ago, first, uh, before we get to England, Australia, uh, with Italy and Australia, the Wallabies winning 26 points to seven. Uh, they certainly didn't have things go all their way, did they? Yeah, one of those games that um, for fans that didn't watch it live probably woke up and thought, OK, looked at the final score, 
reasonably comfortable there, no, no worries. But it was anything but, really, in terms of how it actually played out. The Italians had um, a lot of pressure um, throughout their game on the Wallabies and then, yeah, a couple of calls and bounces of the ball didn't quite go their way and, and the Wallabies were, were, you know, deserved winners. But uh, the margin probably flattered them a little bit, did you think? Oh, it certainly did. I think the first 20 minutes, the Wallabies were kind of all over the place, really. Like, the um, Bernard Foley... Struggled big time at inside centre. He was kind of crabbing sideways, and and they really lacked that direct runner. And, and eventually, about the half hour mark, Samu Krevi starts coming into the the game and really getting over the advantage line. And he had a, an outstanding, particularly first half, but but he really set up the match with his two involvements, uh, leading to tries with Korobedi in the in the thirtieth and thirty fifth minutes. So, um, big game for him, but. But Adam Ashley Cooper had a, a brilliant return, his first test in, in two years, um, setting up three of the four tries, making a, a line break with a couple of minutes to go, uh, which led to Will Genia's match ceiling try. Um, so Adam Ashley Cooper, he's, what, 35, 34 now. He could potentially start against England this weekend, I certainly think he should. What do you think that says about the Wallabies and perhaps Australian rugby? Yeah, it's giving me great hope at 34 years young that uh, <laughs> I, can, I can still get out there and compete. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, we just didn't know, did we, because he's been out of sight, out of mind um, playing in Japan. We don't really get any footage of the stuff over there. So, yeah, we were just going on, on I guess, uh, the you know trusting the Wallabies coaches that he still had plenty to offer. I mean, we did know he's a, a great professional and, he, he, as he said, he wouldn't have come back if he didn't think he, he could cut it. So, yeah, it's very interesting um, now, you know, how this plays out going forward because he's equally comfortable, as we know, playing at centre on the wing, um, even at fullback in a pinch, um, just how he's used going forward. So he's putting some of the, the younger guys um, on, on notice. The question mark, well, we knew he'd have all the, the game sense and the, and the chat and the, and the defence and everything, but um, the question was, especially on the wing, does he have the pace um, to cut it at that level? But it looks like he's still got enough to, to get by. So, yeah, we haven't even got official word of him signing with the Waratahs yet, but it looks like that will happen, and it's another yeah, very handy um, option for, for Checker going into the World Cup now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And you're right. He, I think it was probably midway through the first half where the Wallabies made yet another error in attack in the, on about Italy's 22 and a ball was kicked ahead uh, and it was AAC up against the opposition winger who, was, who showed some toe by it later in the, in the game chasing down Israel Folau. Um, but Ashley Cooper managed to get to the ball first and, and didn't turn over possession either, kind of got off his feet and um, bought some time for him. So Czech's got a couple of selection headaches, I suppose, heading into the final test of the year against England uh, where uh, to play and, and hopefully David Pocock is, is fit for the Wallabies, but where to play uh, if Foley's at 10 or if it Matt Tamura's at, at 10. Uh, we know that Poito just said that he thinks that Kurtley Beale, a former Randwick player himself, shouldn't be in, in the match 23. What do you think in terms of right now, Michael Checker, what do you think he would do in terms of uh, not looking at what's happening with the World Cup in, in, t- in 10 months' time, but to win a test match against England this weekend? Yeah, it's always a bit dangerous trying to get inside Checker's head and what he might come up with because he does does like a surprise. And how many late withdrawals have there been there this season? It's been a nightmare um, with you know late late changes on the bench in particular. But yeah, look, uh, he he was very pleased with what he got out of Matt Tamoa. Sure, it is only Italy, but he was. Um, I think he said it was his best performance since he's come back. So he was, yeah, obviously pleased with what he offered at ten. Um, and and yeah, look, I I must agree with uh, Simon there, Bill. I think that. 
move um, to number 10 throughout the rugby championship. Um, it's kind of scrambled his, his brain a little bit. He's a brilliant player at his best. Um, but, yeah, for whatever reason, he's gone right off the ball at the moment. And I, yeah, I just – I think uh, I'd, I'd have him on the bench, and if it was me picking the team, I'd go Foley at 10, Tamora at 12, and then Karevi at 13. Um, I, we just had a discussion upstairs about that. You wouldn't mind uh, Karevi at 12 uh, long-term, but would you actually consider that this weekend as well? Well, it really comes down to Jordan Bataille and, and how fit he is. Clearly, he was he touched upon all the late withdrawals, a hamstring injury for him late in the piece last week, which which forced him out. Well, he wasn't even going to be picked at outside centre. He was picked on the wing. So I don't think you're going to see him at outside centre um, for for this week with, with the possibilities of Karevi at 12. We've seen Karevi at 12 in the past, but that's generally been with Tevita Kiranjani at 13. And I don't know if that works, having two big ball running uh, midfielders in there. But I think long term, I'd like to see Karevi at 12 because he gives the Wallabies some directness and attack, which at the moment they certainly do need because both Beal and, and Foley, when they've been at 12, um, are, are running sideways. And, and we've seen that the Wallabies are struggling to score points this year. Um, we know that Michael Checker loves to have a, a second playmaker there. He, he started that really with Matt Giddo back in, in 2015, and, and that certainly worked successfully. But over the last 12 months, for whatever reason, um, they're, they're, that's not clicking. Um, but I think he'll probably return to what he knows and what he perhaps trusts, which will mean Foley 10, Bill 12, Matt Tamua back to the, the bench. Um, I suppose that the other big one is if Adam Ashley Cooper does start on the wing, does Israel Folau, um continue to stay at, at 15 or does Tane Hale at Petty come back off the bench? I think he will. Um, and you might see Naivalu, Korobedi, uh, potentially on the wings with with Folau. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, big test match, though, certainly for the Wallabies. Uh, however, the test match on the weekend was, was certainly... Um, it kind of didn't really register because all the focus was on the All Blacks and Ireland in Dublin. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Well, Sammy, that was it. The the big test match, Ireland coming home over the top 16 points to nine. Uh, what a remarkable test match it was. Yeah, it genuinely was. Um, you know, some people will scoff and say there was only one try, but it was a, a cracking try. And, yeah, just the... Uh, the the guts, the commitment, the the will to win there was um, you, you struggle to find much better in, in world sport in terms of the, the commitment that was on display there. So yeah, extraordinary stuff from Ireland. First time in front of their home fans. Um, a bit of a weird one for them because yeah, they they of course did break the um, the hoodoo, but it was over there in Chicago, not you know in front of their home fans where they've been trying year after year after year to to break down this black machine. So and some of the um, the, the the best players from the All Blacks, no Brody Retallick yeah. on that occasion. So yeah, ex- exactly. So yeah, to do it at home, the, um, the atmosphere just looked uh, extraordinarily. Extraordinary, and it was uh, thoroughly deserved. Um, yeah, the All Blacks came hard at the end, and you thought, okay, they might be able to pinch a draw there, but um, they were out on their feet. And Brady Retallick, uh, you know, he was the hero of the week before, and and, and just couldn't uh, couldn't muster one last effort there at the end uh, for, for the All Blacks. So yeah, it's um, it's certainly got the rugby world captivated. That result, um, less than a year out for the World Cup, it sets it up superbly, doesn't it? Um, in terms of those two as the favourites, but um, you know, also a few few teams like England and. 
South Africa getting their act together as, as well. So, yeah, look, sets, sets it up beautifully and there's um, lots of great storylines. We're not, not quite done yet, of course. Wallabies England's going to be the big one to sign off um, for the year. But Christy Doran, a bit of bit of Irish in that name. You were, you were loving it as well on Sunday morning. I certainly was, but I was struggling to, to stay awake, I must admit, at one stage just had a you know one or two minute little nap because uh, I'd been up. How many coffees did you get through over the course of the morning? Well, having w- woken up at 12 midnight to come into the office and then pushing right through into the, the 6 a.m. kickoff, I think I might have had four or five espressos throughout that time. Right. Um, but <laughs> see, see, one of the, the great stories and the, always the coaches and the, and the, the dialogue between um, – the, the the Steve Hansen and, and Joe Schmidt. Um, we know that Hansen before the game had said that whoever wins is is the world's best team. Um, and and post game Steve said that too. Shag said that uh, that Ireland had clearly got the mantle by winning. Uh, but do you, do you take that with a grain of salt, Sam? Oh uh, yeah, there's nothing between them. But I think it's. Yeah, if you were drawing up a market, um, pretty hard to split those two teams because the way the island plays is set up perfectly for you know knockout pressure tournament football. They're, they're used to it, um, winning those tight games. They've got Sexton pulling the strings. I mean, Connor Murray wasn't even... We talked about the All Blacks not being there in Chicago, but uh, Connor Murray and, and Sean O'Brien weren't, weren't there in Dublin either. So, um, yeah, I, I think they genuinely are probably co-favourites at the moment this this far out from the World Cup. Um, it, I, I don't think that result necessarily will have any bearing, um, you know, come the World Cup. It's its, it's, its own beast. But It, it, it does but it, give it, the Irish a lot of confidence going forward, knowing that that 2016 yeah. result in Chicago wasn't just a fluke, that they yeah. have, have beaten them in two of their last three test matches. Yeah, it doesn't hurt, does it? But, uh, yeah, equally, I don't think it will have a huge bearing. Um, it's also going to, you know, you could argue that it's going to be positive for the All Blacks to, to go away and really now question their own methods because they've had a pretty... It wasn't just that result. They obviously lost at home to South Africa and they've escaped um, as well against the Springboks in, in England. Um, so they've had a, a pretty patchy year. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, navel-gazing and, and, and soul-searching going on across the ditch, but I think history shows they're going to come back, you know, bigger and stronger as well. So, yeah, fa- fascinating stuff in terms of... The, the global picking order. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, and I think that if anything, it, it probably awakens a beast that is New Zealand rugby, um, and, and certainly harnesses their attention going forward. The, the, the New Zealand media, though, as they typically are, whenever there is a loss, there's question marks, and 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 uh, no, you know, tone is uh, no no um, pages unturned, and, and so forth. Uh, there's the suggestions and the talk of New Zealand losing its its aura, um, the physicality that they're lacking without Jerome Kino at six and, and having Squire there at, um, in, in, instead over the last year. There's questions of um, where does Bowden Barrett play because Damian McKenzie's not an international fullback. Um, is Barrett the, the best alternative and therefore does Richie Mwanga come in at 10? So there's lots of questions. What Where do you see some of those answers? Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, crazy stuff thrown out there. Um, Ma Nonu coming back at 12 and getting rid of Karen Reid, two, two of the things this week. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't go down either of those paths. But, yeah, I, I do think that the, the Mawanga Barrett thing is something that they'll consider very, very closely. Like, it is pretty appealing to start games with Moanga at 10 and Barrett at fullback, I would have thought. Then you can leave Ben Smith there and then McKenzie is your your impact man. I mean, that, that setup looks pretty good to me. So I think, um, depending on the Super Rugby form, that, that it definitely is something that they'll consider strongly. But, yeah, I, 
you know, looking throughout the rest of the squad, I think all the pieces are in place there. They they they're at the end of a long season at the moment, so maybe they're not at their their best there. But uh, yeah, game plan wise, there's there's the question of whether they're holding certain things back. Um, Steve Hansen said no, so yeah, I, I just. I just think it's rather than put the boot too much into New Zealand, I just think it's more hats off to Ireland who are now setting the bar themselves in a number of areas, particularly um, defence um, uh, with Andy Farrell there as well. Joe Schmidt's clearly deservedly getting a lot of the credit, but uh, that defence that Andy Farrell um, is drawing up, he's now had that win you know, Chicago with the Lions, and again, it's 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 got the All Blacks a bit rattled, doesn't it? And, and, and again, that, that sets up beautifully for the pressure of World Cup tournament football. Yeah, and certainly who coaches New Zealand and indeed Ireland beyond the, the World Cup. We'll get to that in a second but there is a, there, there is going to be some discussion even in the midfield with New Zealand given the injury history of Sonny Bill Williams over the last 24 months, Ryan Crotty, his concussions that he's had. Um, so at some stage, Steve Hansen is, is going to start to think, well, who is my 12 going forward? Uh, Jack Hood, you clearly a really impressive outside centre and young prospect there. But but um, does Nani Lomapi come into it, a hard-running, punching sort of bloke through the middle? Um, so questions there. And I thought even just the, the, the leadership, it was the, the key leaders that, somewhat buckled under pressure um, on the weekend with, with Reed and with Retallick ultimately dropping the ball. That that meant full time. Um, but another really interesting moment in the game was was Kieran Reed's decision to go for the points um, for, for, for goal with, what, 10 minutes to go or so instead of kicking for the corner. Um, because as it turned out, even with the penalty, the All Blacks still required another converted try, and that was just to, to level things up. Um, the psychology behind that, uh, were you surprised that, that Reid went for goals? Yeah, slightly. Yeah, yeah. I thought he'd um, go for the line in that that moment. Um, and yeah, again, it is just a, an indication of how much respect there was for that Irish defence. And um, yeah, they were only able to keep the scoreboard ticking over in threes. So, yep, uh, slight surprise there. But you can understand the the rationale. Uh, well, was was, the rationale because even if they had got a converted try, a draw is what was they're coming away from. So, well, yeah. Well, they've scored, I guess, two late trials against South Africa recently, which you know might have been in the. The back in the mind, so yeah, I'm not not sure what Reed himself actually had to to say about that. But there was a couple of other moments as well, which maybe haven't been talked about as much. Like Barrett's drop goal when they had penalty advantage, it's a golden opportunity to go yeah. for the try, and, um, that, and that's indeed what Ireland did with the Rob Carney, even though it was yeah. ruled a no try because he dropped it over the line. Uh, that would have been a yeah, a, exactly right. Yeah, I think the commentators did mention it. I mean, Barrett sure he knocked over the drop goal. That's that's great that he's got that up his sleeve now. But they were right right in front in that penalty. He could have taken the the, the penalty shot anyway, so that was a, an opportunity missed, and you have to question the decision making there. So, yeah, a, a lot to um, a lot to unfold. It's the classic uh, was it stone under the the beach towel um, all over summer that New Zealand will now have, and I, I think it will be a, a healthy thing for them going forward. And I guess the challenge for Ireland now that they're, they're at, at you know right at the the, have they the summer. Too early? Can, yeah, can they play any? Better than that, it's it's hard to think how, but I'm, I'm sure they will find ways. Um, you know that they they didn't have all their key pieces there as well, so that's the the challenge now for Joe Schmidt. They 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 seem to be at their their summit. Can they find um, another gear or or at the least uh, maintain that um, incredible performance through to the World Cup now? Well, and also they're going to have to start to think if if Johnny Sexton does go down, who's the alternative ten? And it's yeah. clearly Joey Carberry, but 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 Joe Schmidt, I think over the next six months and throughout that Six Nations, clearly they want to be. Continue 
continuing the winning momentum. But they need to know that if, if, if Sexton does go down, that they can totally rely on, on Carberry, which is one of the things that let them down back in 2015 when Sexton did miss that quarterfinal. And, and, uh, and Madigan came in, and, and although a good player, uh, certainly not a Sexton. Um, the, the other big talking point post-game was, was Steve Hansen revealing that he's going to come up with his decision um, post World Cup, what he's going to do with his future. Will he continue? Um, and that's under the assumption that he would even be given the, the, the coaching job beyond 2019 if he did indeed want to stay there. But how, how do you think that's going to play out? Because because Joe Schmidt has also said that he will have a decision by the end of the year what he's thinking his future is and, and will he remain in Ireland or, or will he uh, return back home or, or elsewhere? Yeah, it's a fascinating state of affairs. Um, you know, the short answer is I've got no no idea whatsoever what's going to happen. But um, yeah, fascinating how it's played out now because New Zealand rugby would be mad not to sound out Joe Schmidt about what he's up to. Equally, Rugby Australia, you, you know, surely they've. Um, There's a lot of moving parts here. Surely they've, yes, sounded out uh, Schmidt and Warren Gatlin behind the the scenes. Um, you know, there'd be obviously both dream candidates to, to take over you'd think um, after the World Cup so there's there's so much uh, at stake here um, you know with with the All Blacks machine humming along Ian Foster was was thought to be the you know uh, if they kept winning you know it would be easy for them just to roll over and say yep he, Ian Foster here, here are the reins but yeah I, I'd be really disappointed if the next All Blacks coach isn't Joe Schmidt now from you know just from a personal perspective um, he's he's more than um, proven himself and, and you know some critics might say can he play that you know expansive you know, free flying game that New Zealand uh, loves to play, and that that's a fair question. Um, but I, but I think you know, give him the cattle, and I'm sure he he's smart enough to adapt to that as well. So, yeah, um, you know, Schmidt and Hansen, their decisions over the next few months can really it, it shape w- world rugby for the next cycle, won't they? Yeah, and it would go against so what New Zealand rugby has done previously, and and their stated intention of having you know a clear path to the New Zealand coaching job by being staying in New Zealand Super Rugby into the, the All Black system and then ultimately being the head coach. Yeah, that, that's true. But, um, yeah, stuff that basically you've got to pick the best man for the job. So, yeah, it would be a departure for them, you're right. But um, I think that is the call that they should make, yeah. Yeah, and the, the other person that we haven't even touched upon who's won the last two Super Rugby titles is Scott Razor-Robertson as well. That's so. the thing, you can't announce that, can you, a year out from the World Cup. Um, you know, Schmidt's still scheming to, to bring down Hanson and vice versa. So, yeah, what, what they actually come up with behind the scenes and how they present this well, if publicly. Well, if it's, Ireland it's were to, to flop or uh, at, at the next World Cup, we don't think that they will. But if they were, it is possible that Ireland could play New Zealand in the in the quarterfinals, which yeah. if New Zealand uh, lose to South Africa and South Africa top their pool, uh, New Zealand will be therefore second. In Ireland, we're going to assume are going to get past Scotland, their biggest uh, uh, competitors in, in their pool. So we could potentially see Ireland either against South Africa New Zealand and if that's the case well one of the big two is going to be crashing out in the quarters which is just remarkable yeah, that's right. We haven't even mentioned Eddie Jones, of course. Um, you know, can can he carry on with England if things don't go well there? You know, would would he attempt to come back to to Australia and have another crack at that job? So yeah, I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of um, you know pre pre contract stuff and then clauses and, and and whatever gets drawn up behind the scenes. Um, uh, yeah, a, a lot of fascinating discussions um, going on behind closed doors, no doubt. Okay, before we just finish up on this international chat, uh, New Zealand to play this weekend their final test of of the 
the year uh, against Italy. Uh, they've got, what, 28 players fit now after New Zealand rugby sent back the likes of Sam Whitelock, Matt Todd back to Japan, uh, a couple of injuries there with Sonny Bill Williams too. Um You'd obviously think that New Zealand are going to walk past Italy. Um, but the England-Australia result, uh, it's always hard to, to make predictions and, and who knows how this Wallaby side will go in, in 40 minutes, let alone 80. But uh, who would you think will, will win that one? Yeah, it's hard to you know genuinely predict a Wallabies win. But at the same time, I'm not entirely convinced by England, they have, you know, in fits and starts, um, shown what they're capable of. But yeah, I still question their their ability to to score big points. And we we have seen that the Wallabies certainly have that potential to score big points when when things click. So um, yeah, a lot of people have completely ridden off Australia. I, I certainly wouldn't do that. Um, I think it will be competitive. Um, but yeah, set piece is the the big worry. I think particularly the line out. Um, that that's no doubt the the area that England will will, will go hard at uh, the Wallabies. So. I'm sitting on the fence a bit. Um, Certainly, you'd, you'd have to go England, but maybe by ten points rather than the the complete caning that some people are predicting. Yeah, and two things on that: Will Gennier, his hundredth test. So, uh, what a what a player he's been for Australian rugby. And, and if he was to to be out of that side at the moment, well, then you would be thinking certainly England because he brings a lot to the the game for uh, Australian rugby's perspective. But also, the Indigenous jersey is going to be worn. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, th- yeah, this weekend too. So we saw the impact that it made last year in Bledisloe Three with the Wallabies producing their best performance of the year. So, can they do it again against? England, I don't think they can. I think England will get the job done. Um, Owen Farrell uh, at 10, you would think, and he's in very good form. And I think England uh, might get the business done. Well, that's possibly the first time I've ever heard you pick against the Wallabies, Christy. So if I was a Wallabies fan, I'd get on them big time. There's a, there's a famous Australian win coming. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some sevens. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. All right, something a little bit different now. The international game has been dominating the headlines for the last few months, but the World Rugby Series 7 is just about to get started, and we're joined by Australian Sevens captain Louis Holland. How are you, Louis? Yeah, good, mate. Um, thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure, mate. It's been a, a little while. How have you been uh, spending your, your last couple of months in, in pre-season or even just uh, kicking back and the feet up for a bit? Yeah, last uh, couple of months have been pretty hectic. We've been over to Fiji to play uh, a Mashiana tournament, which is kind of our only hit out this season as we focused on just controlling what we can do um, at pre-season. So we didn't really travel around like we did last year and competing too many uh, tournaments. It was more just fine tuning um, and understanding ourselves as a team um, leading into this Olympic qualifying year. Cool. And your coach uh, Tim Walsh, Louis, um, he's known for you know thinking outside the the box a bit, um, especially with you know preseason stuff, and then also you know big on themes for a, a season. Anything you can reveal there about what you guys have been been doing to to give yourselves an edge? I think looking at just at a few different stats where we've been through the last uh, couple of seasons um, in regards to you know, taking a ball into contact, um, keeping that ball alive, and then just looking at how other teams that have been successful for a number of seasons and what their, you know, what their rate is with, with going to ground, um, where they're scoring their tries and stuff like that. So it's just understanding that 
that side of the game a little bit better. So when we're getting ourselves in situations, we kind of have the knowledge that, um, you know, you might be stuffed and tired, but this is probably the best time to to attack and give it a red-hot crack and other times where you can, can try and control the game and have a different edge. For sure. Um, Andy Friend, of course, departing earlier in the year and, and Tim Walsh coming on. Um, has it been a, a nice to have a, a new coach and just a, a, a you know new set of eyes and fresh ideas? Yeah, every time you get a new coach, uh, I believe that the squad will kind of will take off. Um, there's plenty there to the young people who are going to impress. They have a different look on the game and how they want to control things. So um, it's always good for a change, regardless of the circumstances. But, um, yeah, I think the Walsh offers a lot of uh, fun stuff at training. Um, not the friend he didn't, but there's a lot of games and um, different stuff that he's brought that all the boys are enjoying. So um, there's no negative um, on the change there. And um, everyone's enjoying training and we're getting better. So, um, yeah, it's been good. And you're kicking off the World Series in Dubai, of course. I haven't checked the weather lately, but I assume it's going to be pretty hot. <laughs> anything anything you can do to prepare for that? Um, not, not a whole lot. Um, we've just been you know, getting a lot of Ks into our league, so we've had some really big pre-season sessions. Um, like I said before, that we haven't really travelled the world. We've kind of stayed in our own backyard and um, sacrificed uh, playing tournaments. Um, and just making sure we have consistent training days because when you travel, you obviously lose a couple of days travelling um, there and a couple of days travelling back and then just a fluctuation of the of the year if you're putting too many pre-season tournaments in that by the time you get to the end of the season, it's a big year and um, you get a bit worn out mentally. So I think just, just having that will prepare us well for uh, Dubai, especially off the back of that little tournament we played over in Fiji. Yeah, yeah. Early in the year, uh, clearly different seasons, but earlier in the year, uh, Australia breaking their, you know, getting the monkey off the back by by winning the Sydney Sevens. Um, clearly, that's going to give you confidence going forward. Um, it had been, what, five, six years since since the last tournament victory. But what do you think's needed in terms of um, getting this side from, from being, a, you know, a fourth, fifth place finisher to being in the top two? Um. Just being able to trust trust what we can do on the field, um, and just having having the belief. I think most of the players, well, all the players are now signed through to twenty twenty, so they should feel comfortable um, in knowing that that's their team. They're not trying to impress for a contract. Yes, you want to try to impress for a selection, and it's always going to be, you know, a competition for for those spots. But I think just having that, you know, that stability around there that those guys. Um, in key roles can just um, get comfortable and start having a real stay within the team um, will um, get us the success we need. Mm. Yeah, mate, uh, Ben O'Donnell, one of the, the great stories of uh, the, the Sevens series last season, he, he gives you a real X factor, doesn't he? But going throughout the rest of the, the squad, has anyone really stood out to you in pre-season um, or, or at the Oceania tournament that, that looks ready to, to make a big impact early in the season? Yeah, Ben O'Donnell's just actually sitting next to me and he's just down the leg giving me a <laughs> wink. So <laughs> he's got a horrible moustache, but anyway. Um, <coughs> I think you can't go past uh, Morris Longbottom. Um, he can he can turn on a dime and pull things out of out of thin air. So once again, he'll he'll just go leaps and bounds this season. I think that he's understanding when when to not overplay his hand and when to use the players around him a bit more, so he can become more effective. Um, 
which will be awesome. Johnny Porch is always full tilt um, and always puts in 100%. So I think like out there in the back line will be awesome. Um, and then Henry Hutchinson again signed um, through to Tokyo um, for two years. So when we've seen him on the World Series a few years ago, just he's a world-class finisher. Um, he's solid in defence. So, you know, having those three outside, um, was um, at halfback, I think there's just, there's going to be threats all over the park. And then you've got your forward pack with Jesse, who's had, well, I think he's done the most metres this pre-season. So he's almost a 35-year-old going on a 25-year-old. So he's feeling fresh and ready to go. Yeah, and of course you've got a bit more starch there with Michael Wells and uh, Nick Maloof coming back into the, the system too. So lots to look forward to uh, from an Australian perspective and hopefully right on the yard. Just to, to finish off, mate, uh, Dubai, clearly in the desert. Where, where do you where do you love particularly to travel with the with the Sevens tournament? Where's the best location? Playing wise, I don't mind Dubai because you know it's not going to be you know you know it's not going to be wet. And it did rain over there a few years ago, which was, I think it rains once a year. But Dubai, I like to play uh, because of the conditions. You know, it's going to be, it's hot, but it's not ridiculously hot. And um, dry pill, good rugby conditions. But then, like, you got the likes of Hong Kong, where just um, the build-up and the history of Hong Kong is always a pleasure to play at. And then sitting in your own backyard when you're your home crowd, we don't get to play in front of many Aussies. Usually we get booed or stuff thrown at us. <laughs> So I'm um, playing there is probably another highlight. Yeah, right. Okay, and and uh, so we know the playing perspective, but from just like you, you, you've mentioned Hong Kong, there, do you ever wish you you know you could actually put on the partying boots yourself and and chuck on a costume and just get amongst the the party atmosphere and have a few beers because that's what Sevens is all about, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Definitely in the crowd, you always see some crazy outfits and you hear some good stories when your mates kind of travel around and come watch at different events. So I think once once the plane boots are off, the party boots will go on and I'll definitely do a World Series uh, party tour. Nice one, mate. Count me in. Make sure to invite the podcast uh, along. Does, does yep. it uh, does it kind of um, not annoy you, but just do, do you sort of roll your eyes? Because I think people look at the the life you lead, travelling around the world, and it all looks um, pretty glamorous. And you do get to go to some great some great spots, but the reality is, you um, until the tournament's finished, you, you're hard at work, and you're probably not not doing a lot of the the fun stuff. Do you kind of have to explain that to people that it's not all not all fun and games on tour? You, you're working pretty hard. Yeah, it's definitely not fun fun at all. I think we usually get in on a you know a Sunday night or a Monday morning. So wherever we are landing, it's usually uh, jet lag. So you're trying to get over that as quick as possible to go do a bit of a run on a Tuesday, Wednesday is your main session. Wednesday, Thursday is your main session. Um, Friday is usually captain's run day off a bit light, and then you fly into the weekend, and then you're off again. So yeah, we get to we get to go to a lot of countries, and we tend to have a Thursday. Thursday off or a Tuesday where we go out and explore, but outside of that, it's pretty much business for us um, getting over there, getting our bodies prepared, and I think each year is getting tougher, and now with like Olympic qualification, Olympic year, everyone's um, taking a step up, and you know, it's just it's becoming harder and harder. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. Getting older and older. <laughs> how many how many k's would a, a sevens player chalk up? You know, through through a week, really, on on the training paddock or even in pre season. Oh, well, lately we've been doing nine, I think eight to 10K sessions. So that's like, um, that's over two hours. Uh, and that could probably happen three times a week. Um, and then on a in a game, you're probably looking at, uh, if you're playing the whole thing, 
from like your 1500 to 2k mark um, for 14 minutes where you know, the ball's on in play that lot. So, um, yeah, you tend to run a lot. So we've got to train like that. So in the last, last couple of months, we've had some you know, 9k sessions, 10k sessions, which is um, mostly just conditioning games and um, little little um, sevens games that we play, like one touch and two touch and offside touch, all little games that are kind of seven specific but get the heart rate working. Yeah, how high would your high rate be when you're doing that? Um, they don't really work so much off your heart rate. It's more like your metres per minute. Um, so I think over in Fiji, we are down a little bit um, where the average was like, I think, around 90 or something. But you can get up to where you're working 200 metres a minute, which can include like tackling, getting up off the deck, stoppages in play and stuff like that. So... That way, that way, the where you're working at that rate, um, it doesn't seem a whole lot. But I'll tell you one thing: it bloody hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, before we uh, let you go to enjoy that moustache uh, next year, that, that sounds a bit weird, but you can enjoy looking at the <laughs> looking at the moustache anyway. Um, just around the rest of the the sevens circuit this season, is, is it the same old suspects um, that you think you're going to be competing with for the the title? Is there any any dark horses out there that you can see coming through this year? Um. I think Japan, I think um, they'll obviously work their way back into the season. I reckon they might be a dark horse where, um, you know, Tokyo's coming up. So I reckon they'll stake a few feathers um, in regards to probably in the pool rounds. Um, but usually the suspects of Fiji, South Africa and New Zealand um, will be your main contenders with England um, coming and going. So I don't think there'll be too many surprises, but I reckon the pool stages... Um, might upset a few things and you might get a couple of wild crossovers. All right, there you go. We've heard it. And speaking of England, the uh, Australian Sevens side will be pulled alongside England in the, the Dubai Sevens, which is coming up not this weekend, the following one. Uh, Louis, good to chat to you, mate, and hopefully it's an injury-free season for you. Yep, sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Well, good to chat to Louis Holland, of course, one of the lighter characters around Australian rugby at the moment. And, and yes, let's hope he stays free from injury because the last couple of years have been a wretched run for him. Um, well, look, a lot to look forward to this weekend, uh, a lot of test matches. And on Sunday, I think in Monaco, World Rugby is going to have their... Uh, their awards night, um, World Rugby Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and Team... They're going to announce their team of the year. What do you think? Uh, who's going to get the the trophies? Yeah, look, I'll probably preempt what what you were going to say in terms of the the men's main gong there with I guess Johnny Sexton. Um, probably hard to go past him in terms of the guys that they've nominated. Uh, Ty Furlong, I think uh, he he was unlucky not to get um, put shortlisted as well. He's just a phenomenal rugby player. Um, was yeah, it was unbelievable against Australia and then again against the All Blacks and, and Six Nations as well. So yeah, you'd like to. Yeah, think it would go to someone from Ireland. It's been a bit of a All Blacks fest for the last decade, hasn't it? Um, very, I think Dusatwa won it um, in that time, but otherwise it's been mostly the All Blacks. So yeah, I'd be be staggered if it wasn't Sexton, basically from a from a men's perspective. Yeah, it really has to be what well, Joe Schmidt for for Coach of the Year, and and clearly by Ireland winning on the weekend, and uh, I think that's probably wrapped up that, and maybe Big Carl for 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 Breakout Rookie of the Year. 
Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, he he uh, had a speaking of Furlong, he had a bit of a tough go against it at times against him. They had a, a great battle, but yeah, he he's a great a great story. It's hard to know what uh, criteria they they come up with, and that that breakthrough um, player normally goes to a a winger, doesn't it? So um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a lottery. Who, who would you go for um, in some of these awards, Christy? Any any uh, tips? Uh, I just think Carl probably just shades Jordan Lama and uh, Afifi Tianti, uh, the, the, the Springboks winger who's totally electric, but I think um, good to see... Tom, Tom, it's good to see the props getting some awards, wouldn't it? It's normally the, the backs. Um, loose loose forwards often get um, nominated as well, so yeah, time for the, the big props to get around. The story of him being, what, 160, 170 kilos or however large he was is just remarkable that he's now playing Test Rugby, so just for that alone, good on him. Um but I think, yep, certainly Johnny Sexton has to has to be awarded the 10 and hopefully it's not like a Eurovision, um, uh, how they play it, where it's a popularity contest. I know there's been a, a few eyebrows raised in the past about who's been uh, given the award, but clearly Bowden Barrett going for the, the three-peat with uh, having won in 2016-17. So uh, that will be an interesting selection decision. Uh, and next week, too, our final podcast of the year. So uh, looking forward to, to, to recapping everything from the weekend. Clearly the big one, Australia and England, 2 a.m. on BN Sports, which you can find on your Fox Sports, too. So uh, stay up for that one or get up in the wee hours and looking forward to bringing you all the post-game and the pre-game and during the live coverage, too. But until now, that's a wrap for the Fox Rugby Podcast. 